Welcome to the podcast of the Urban Mystic. In last week's episode, we, 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 we spoke in the abstract around spiritual beings speaking to us. And in tonight's conversation, Steve and I take some time to tell each other stories about our own experience of God. And uh, we are just inviting you to engage with these stories with us and to reflect on, on, on your own stories in your own life. Cool. I, I thought perhaps in response, I'll, I'll share briefly then uh, one of my dream experiences. Um, very simple one. I uh, was, again, I'm going back a little bit to my sort of early years of, of uh, claiming to be a Jesus follower. And um, I awoke one morning, I'd had a dream about a, a friend of mine, and he was leading a Bible study cell group type uh, thing that I was going to regularly every week. And in the dream, he had been trying to convince me to get into some business deal. And the more he tried to convince me to do it, the more uncomfortable I got in the dream. And I remember waking up with, um, and this is why I asked you, you know, can you, can you put it into language, that sense, that feeling, and when you awaken, of, you know, this is weighty. And I just awoke with this this deep weightiness, knowing this, this is real. This, I didn't dream this. I've, I'd never talked to this guy about going into business with him at all. I knew very little about his business life, in fact, at that point. But I woke with this deep weightiness and these two numbers in my head. Um, and it was early on for me in terms of learning those experiences. So it was one of my first deep dream experiences. Um, and I couldn't shake this feeling throughout the day. I woke up probably 6.37 in the morning, and probably by 3 or 4 o'clock that afternoon, it had, that feeling had chased me all day. It, it had not left me alone. And so I eventually phoned this guy and said, look, I don't actually have any framework what to do with this experience. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just going to take the risk and tell you I had a dream about you last night. And you were trying to convince me to do something with these two numbers. And I just had a feeling that it was a very, very bad idea. And I woke up with this weighty sense. And I gave him the numbers. And he just said, how did you know that? I said, well, I've just told you. <laughs> I've had this experience that I can't interpret. <laughs> and so like a good budding Christian, I'm going to my cell group leader to interpret it for me. Um, but. <laughs> But in the end, he didn't. All he said was, um, uh, he said, you know, I, I've considered buying a house. And the first two numbers in the total for the house are the numbers that you gave me. And I was going to do some things with my money that I had questions about the ethics of them. Uh, and I think, that's, uh, I think that's what God is saying to you, to me, rather, through you, through this dream. And I've never forgotten that, that weighty, weighty sense. And I've often come back to that as I rely on that, as I move forward. And so there'll be times when I'm, I'm stirred inwardly and I get a feeling similar to it. Um, and I will ignore the feeling until it really starts to feel the way I felt through that day. And then I get a sense, okay, this, this is something that I that I either feel for myself or I want to share for others. And funnily enough, I actually rely more on that uh, when it comes to sharing something with other people. 
I will hold, hold fast uh, until I'm deeply uncomfortable. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and, uh, and so that was a very vivid, one of my first very vivid dream experiences. Are dream experiences like that? Uh, you know, I, 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 I'm choosing to adopt the language of sleeping visions for them because I feel like it sets it apart from dreams in some sense. Um, you know, it both is a dream and, and isn't at the same time because it's a very awake, conscious experience that stays with you. And where dreams are easily forgotten, even profound ones, these things often remain clear and can remain clear forever after, you know, in, in, in people's minds. Are, are dreams like that, uh, have they become a regular part of your, your life and your experience, your practice? Seasonally, yeah, I, I seem to go through seasons in which I will dream a lot more, and that in general. So let me, let me say dreams and sleeping visions, as you termed it. Uh, both of those seem to be seasonal for me, either when I am dreaming and I'm consciously, you know, as I awake, consciously unpacking in my dream time experiences, anxieties, concerns, the future, whatever it might be. And also these sleeping visions, the sense of God coming to meet with me in this space and either speak to me about things um, or, or speak to me about other, other people's things. So since that moment, yes, they have, that has been a marked part of my mystical experience, but it does seem to come and go. And I'm not able to put my finger on why it comes and goes. Um, other than sometimes, and, and this is something I'm still thinking about, uh, there's a guilt factor associated with it, but I'm trying to deconstruct whether that is a guilt factor from institution or whether it's a valid internal emotion that I should be listening to along the lines of, so it's, it's along the lines of, you, you know, it's, it's the classic sort of early Christian teaching idea, right? You've met God, you've got to join a church, you've got to, you know, we've got to connect you in with believers so you don't backslide and you don't lose, you know, hope and etc. And at the same time, we're going to teach you the glorious quiet time initiative. And if you don't do, you know, 30 minutes on the dot every single day, and it usually has to be at some ungodly hour, you know, it's got to be hard and you've preferably got to be barefoot so you're really cold and it's all this kind of weird things that over time as you look back, you realize it's not taught, but it's in there somehow. You're picking up this, you know, get in rags and sackcloth and ashes and go outside and freeze to death and have a quiet time with this God who loves you. And so there's, I can tell that in some ways I'm still healing from this, this practice-oriented idea and I would be careful to distinguish between what I consider to be healthy and helpful spiritual practice and the institution's idea of what that is, i.e., you're probably going to hell and God hates you even more than he already hates you. <laughs> you know, given the gospel story I was given coming into the church. Um, if you do not do this thing every day, it's that whole idea of just the earned presence, et cetera, et cetera, love of God. And so whether it has something to do with that and being aware of or at least thinking that those dream seasons seem to ebb and flow uh, based on how much time I am investing, you know, in reading the Bible, practicing the quiet time, et cetera, et cetera. 
Uh, and although I'm, I'm in a very different space as I, you know, from where I was two years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, um, I can tell that there's still that undercurrent. It's deep. It's a, it's a root that goes down very, very deep into your soul, I think, and, and just takes hold. And it takes a lot for that to be dug out. So it's that on the one side, the, the idea of is, is it guilt? And on the other side going, is there genuinely something to do with me? I must pick my language here carefully. I want to say slacking, but that's not the impression that I want to give. A withdrawal almost in myself. Um, and I've learned even that over time, that there's a great deal of health in that kind of trademark Jonah experience, the running. You know, I, I do tend to say as well that, that being sovereign, God is big enough and ugly enough to, and, and loud enough to be able to speak to you when God wants to, right? It's not like you're going to get away from, 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 a, <laughs> from a being like that, right? So, so, so there, there is a bit of a relaxation in the sense of, of, of what we put in does not determine uh, the capacity of which God responds. That, 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 that's, there's, a, there's, a, there's an agency and independence there. And, and, and sometimes there can be a coinciding where you're on the same page journeying together. And sometimes there's the, there's the journeying away from, which is quite helpful. You know, in any relationship, you take time out, <laughs> you know, and that, in, that includes spirituality as well. Um, whereas a lot of people like often don't think that, but I, I think also there's, there's, there's an undercurrent. I, I think there's a, there's a consistent message of we don't trust experience. We don't trace experience. We have faith. You know, faith is out of sync with our experience. Our experience is going to mislead us. And yet, the, the, in this, um, what I like about your story there as well, even though I, I, I told the story about myself rather than going, you know, uh, rather than something that's ambassadorial in the way that you did, where, where the dream for you, there's a triangulation there. Because to have a dream like that and go to someone, you, you're right or you're wrong, or, or you're right and wrong to some degree. And, and it can be vague like that where you almost don't know what something mean but it's clear to them and and in many ways that is an experience that's quite 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 layered and with some people it can be tremendously accurate um you know and and, and clear and people can walk confidently in but i think for the most part when we don't trust experience and we don't prioritize these kind of things we can spend 20 20 30 40 50 60 years as someone who has quote unquote faith but doesn't trust experience experience is unreliable and what we're not doing is cultivating and building genuine trust and relational intimacy with this god that speaks to us to hear god's voice to experience god speak to you and almost shunt you along it's something that is so significant in someone else's life i mean you're talking money you're talking uh, you know bonds you're talking that's that's significant life stuff you know it, there's a lot of weight to it and and yet there's the uh, there's the risk to trust you with a dream and what might you or might you not do with it, and yet you're operating within a system, and it's part of what works in that system to also help you deconstruct, <laughs> you know, at the same time. It's it's just like, again, I'm seeing so many layers, obviously in retrospect, that in that situation, it, you know, moving with that dream then was one layer, and yet today it's still got other layers. That even in the telling of it, like the stuff that speaks to me about. Yeah, very much so. And I prefer that complexity in many ways. I'm, I'm both becoming more comfortable, but I'm also aware that it's a building of preference. 
away from, you know, the seven steps to blessing book kind of idea of exactly that faith idea that you're talking about. There's something incredibly risky and incredibly scary, not, not so much in the actual acting on that dream, so much as it is acknowledging the experience of that dream, that it can be real. Because I can kind of act on it and, oh, it's right or it's wrong, so be it. But it has huge implications in terms of this being attempting to draw near, attempting to draw near, drawing near, and my attempt to understand and respond, etc. cetera. Uh, it begs the question of future engagements. Um, and as I say, you know, it, it, in many ways, is a benchmark for me understanding future engagements and, and knowing that feeling. Tell me a bit more about that weightiness for you. Oh, it's, it's partly why I asked you the question, because I, I battle so much to put it into language, and possibly just because I'm trying to think of how to give a simple answer to a simple question. It's hard. It's hard. I know. <laughs> I'm, 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 not, I, I'm not being kind by asking you this question in any sense. I, I'm trying to be kind to the listener and think how, how many layers I want to explore. <laughs> so here's part of it. My context is one of not trusting those kinds of experiences. So in parallel or as part of that is then not speaking much about those experiences. And so part of that then is not cultivating the language over time to describe those experiences to others. And part of that is not being able to describe it then to myself accurately. But I am aware of some markers in myself that happen in some ways they're different in different experiences and in some ways I, I can experience them across the board w one for me is elevated heart rate it's a simple biological thing that i battle to get away from but at the same time i i also <laughs> i always question it because there's so many things that are going to elevate your heart rate you know and, and you can get used to emotional manipulation, for example, elevating your heart rate. But even there, as I try to drill down, there's just a difference that I battle to put into words. When I, friends of us, they now have a, she's just turned one. The mom was two weeks pregnant and she walked up to me in church and I took one look at her and my heart rate triggered. And I said, you're pregnant. Well, I didn't say you're pregnant. I first tested the water. Let me be completely thoroughly honest. <laughs> I didn't jump straight in. Come on, Steve. I said, upsell, upsell I, said, yourself. Yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I said, are you guys still trying? And she said, yes. And I said, okay, you're pregnant. She said, no, I'm not. <laughs> and she was. It was two weeks in. And that's happened again. It's a very similar thing. But there was an instant. Just, I just knew it. It just hit me like a ton of bricks in the middle of the chest. But if I have to put words to it, my heart rate just went through the roof, and that will happen. Now, when I woke up from that dream, I didn't have an elevated heart rate. But I woke up with, in some ways, there was a similar weight on my chest, which I couldn't quite describe. And it wasn't oppressive. It wasn't the feeling that I'd felt when I was bullied as a child and somebody would sit on me. It's an unloving experience. But this, there was something different to it. There's that's what I'm trying to chase, this intangible that I'm trying to put into words. And th there's sometimes a breathlessness for me, which can coincide with the feeling of weight on the chest, 
And sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes I don't feel that physical weight at all. I just feel somewhat breathless. Sometimes I feel anxious. And I just think something's happening. Um, and so there's, there's, there's a variety of different things. And some of them, you know, so there's, a, there's a theme in some ways and in others quite different. Um, and one of them is last, I would say, is being awoken in the night. And as somebody who battles with insomnia, and I have for many, many years, you know, it's learning to distinguish what is just, oh, bloody hell, go to sleep. And what is, no, there's something happening here. I must listen. I must pay attention. I must quieten down and, 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 uh, and be alert. What, what I love about your descriptions there um, is, is firstly how much of that just resonates with me. Like I, 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 I describe things like, like magnets pushing into my chest and my hands and my head sometimes when I talk about God's presence and the tangibility of it and sometimes uh, like, an, like an inner warmth. And at, and at other times it's exactly that as well. There's, there's sometimes, you know, it's, it, it's a physiological response. There's, there's something taking place. And for me it's the same thing. You know, if I, if I go rap jumping, um, <laughs> I did that once. Boy, was there a physiological response, like looking down 20 stories, like, wow, <laughs> right. Um, and, and in other situations, they, it's the same thing. You know, like you, 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 you go for a, for, for a meeting and you're nervous for a meeting and you're negotiating a business deal. It's the same kind of thing. I feel like the same dynamics are present, except it's easy to look at something and go, there isn't something there, but I'm still <laughs> experiencing this, right? And so in, in that sense, there, there is a sense of presence. There is uh, like an autonomic, like physiological response that is actually appropriate to the dynamics that play out. And yet it's hard to put into context. It's hard to put into words. I, I like what you said earlier that because we don't trust experience, we don't talk about this. Because we don't talk about it, we don't develop our language for it. Because we don't develop our language for it, we don't trust it. We don't cultivate the experience. We don't pursue it. You know. Um, you know, I'm I'm a big fan of 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 encouraging people to pursue these things and to move from being a blunt instrument, getting weird dreams that are really hard to interpret and understand, to move from there over a period of time towards clarity and consistency. You know, um, uh, yeah, you know, it's it it is it it is important, but I mean that's. That's also a story for another time. So my third, my third story, and I'm going to counterbalance the father heart of God story earlier <laughs> with, uh, with, with, a complete, with a complete opposite in some ways. Um, you know, so, so where that earlier experience was one that led me to a sense of the, of the potential unity between organized religion and mysticism, this next one divided was it was was a point of division in many ways, and so I, my my son had recently been born. Uh, or, no, my son was about to be born, and Bev was still on bed rest. <laughs> um, and uh, she was in bed rest for for several months, and had placenta previa, and it was like a nightmare as to whether she would die, he would die, they'd both die, <laughs> you know, all that kind of stuff. It was, it was very it was, it was very very scary and stressful. And the one night I'd I, I I was running a bath, and I I I'd stripped my clothes off, <laughs> and, and I was getting in the bath, and I remember 
putting my foot in and having God speak to me. And God said, refer to me in the feminine for the next six months. I'm familiar with God's voice in that sense. So I took it to heart. I I actually practiced it for the next year and a half. I I, I referred to her only in the feminine and as goddess, (laughs) using she (laughs) as uh, references and that that as well. And I I took it on as as a practice because God had genuinely spoken to me. And God doesn't speak to anyone in that way without there being positive fallout. You know, and so, so, so I, I come from, you know, as I, as I mentioned earlier, like a dysfunctional, neglected background from both parents. Um, and, and it had taken years for God to work through many of my issues with, uh, with, with, with men and my own father and my own sense of becoming a father. And yeah, God transitioned that to the feminine. And so I, I don't, think of God as being abstract and genderless, and somehow we are, the image of God is male and female. I, I think of engendering God, that, that God's heart for me and other people don't know, is like a father's heart for their children, is like a mother's heart, <laughs> you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, and the way that this has worked out is in my experience. So, so God speaks to me like this, hopping into the bath. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I wasn't resistant to the idea. I knew that it was going to be uncomfortable. I knew that it was going to challenge me. And yet in in taking on the the challenge to use the language for her like that, it shifted something so profoundly, not only in the way that I saw her, but the way that I saw men and women. And it shifted my relationship, enabling me to become the father that I am to my children. Whereas beforehand I, I I couldn't I hadn't had that shift my relationship with people was stunted because of that you know which is often the case for people that are neglected abused anyway but but this experience of God speaking like that I mean I, I it it was something I carried through and um it was something that forced me to change the language so when I write I I often make use of G O D D E um, as something that is more than the masculine and yet not quite the feminine in some ways to allude to the to the goddess both and and yet neither nor <laughs> as well. So I mean that's just part of my own like like poetic bourgeoisness. <laughs> it had a profound it had a profound implications and fallouts in, in my life because I I got this window on how tremendously sexist and institutionalized our language is as the masculine. And it, it forced me to grapple with the fact on one layer, on one abstract academic layer, perhaps, that we've institutionalized a masculine language, that perhaps at one stage was masculine inclusive, but now is masculine exclusive. And so when I use the masculine for God, I'm excluding the feminine today. Was it like that 600 years ago? No, it wasn't. <laughs> you know, today it very much is. And yet, in the abstract, I would have always gone, no, but God is, is both and. Like, it's not an issue, and I just use the masculine language for it, right? Whereas in this, I was challenged, and it deepened my masculine language. If I use the masculine language now, it is the sense of the masculinity of God, and for how my masculinity to reflect that masculinity, rather than the broken, dysfunctional masculinity that I'd inherited and grew up in and cultivated for myself. And the same with her femininity where I actually had to engage that and had to start engaging what is she like in relationship in the feminine sense. 
what, how does God behave? How is God like a woman? <laughs> how a woman like God? You know, and how is womanhood not like God? And it could become like God so much more. Um, and so, so it was this, it was a singular encounter of getting in the bath and then many layers as I, as I followed through over the next year and a half of, of actually just practicing and using that as my practice. You know, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's just such a, it's such a immediate, in, like, events that was so clear and directive it was invitational but it was a command i mean i was not going to get away from if i'd fought it (laughs) i would have lost that fight and had to do it anyway but but in that moment feeling the weight of it i was like i know god's speaking to me i know this is going to cost me i know this is going to hurt (laughs) uh but i'm going to face it you know i i you know i some people went so off the wall in responding to me that there's a particular guy that he canvassed to have <laughs> comments that are made on people's blog posts on the internet, like deleted, <laughs> because because <laughs> because I I am I've like I've, I've I've clearly gone off the rails. I mean, how can you use the feminine for God, right? It was it was it was harsh. I I lost I lost friends over it, you know. I um yeah I I eventually ended up even contributing to um. To a version of the New Testament that's feminine only in, in reference to God, <laughs> the, the divine feminine version of the New New Testament, the DFENT, you know, which is anyone can Google, Google and, and I'm sure find a find a copy of. But I I contributed to the early stages of that that a friend of mine, Mark Madison, uh, put together and uh, and drove the project. And unfortunately, I couldn't finish it due to life and, and circumstance. But it was it was quite profound. And yet the interactions with people in and around that. And how militantly opposed the religious people were. Um, it, it was just this, this huge problem for people. And yet I ended up speaking to so many people for whom the difference in language meant that they could just bypass all the inst- institutional BS <laughs> um, that they'd experienced. And, and literally, they could, they, it, it was a window for them to begin their journey of engaging God in the immediate sense. When, when God spoke to you like that, I'm interested. Was it the voice that you had come to know in terms of the masculine, or was there any feminine quality to the command referred to me from now on in the feminine? That's a really, um, I mean, it should be an obvious question, <laughs> but, it, but it actually isn't. I, I wouldn't say it was, was masculine or feminine. God, God's voice for me has very much been a, a voice of a cloud of fire and power. <laughs> you know, there was no, there was no, no penis, no breast, no vagina. So it's, a, it's a, you know, it, it was, it was abstract, but it, it was a voice that, that actually has become concrete, and, uh, and in some ways, uh, I recognise that. My interaction with God over the next year and a half, in particular, that that there was a there was a quality that I associate as being feminine that I that I feel like I started to notice that I hadn't noticed before, and, and I, I'm left wondering was it always there, <laughs> you know? Um, and yet, and yet through that time as well, and, and especially afterwards, there's a there's like a masculine turn that comes across as well. Um, and I associate the masculine more with the discipline. So it was really hard to actually embrace the, the nurturing 
with that tone as well. And then later on, the the the, the nurturing and the strict the strictly directive also had a feminine tone, and it was it was really hard to process. So so uh, kind of yes, but I feel like I started noticing that through my journey as I processed my engagement with God. Yeah, I, I don't I I don't think that's a good answer, but it's the answer that I've got. Yeah, we'll step outside of the framework of there needing to be a, <laughs> a great answer. But what you say resonates very much with me in terms of the idea of, uh, Brian McLaren says, we, you, you, he's written a book called We Make the Road by Walking It. And I love that idea of things might not be immediately apparent, but kind of we work out, work things out as, as we move along. And I love that idea of this question that you raise, you know, was I just noticing something that had been there all along? Uh, and that's that sort of becoming process explanation. People are funny with their their um, with their vehement responses to these things. It's a strange sort of sort of schizophrenic reality almost that on paper there's this we do want to engage with God. There's this language of we're taking God seriously, uh, but if you do. Well, hell breaks loose. <laughs> you, you know, there, there, there was like, like just reflecting back, there was there was a measure of of trust and consistency in God speaking to me. That when God spoke to me, I knew that God was speaking to me. I, I, I knew that I had wiggle room to get on board, <laughs> but that there was an inevitability to it. It was like a, um, a and it, and it wasn't. It wasn't um, negative. It it was one that I that I welcome. As God spoke to me, I, I knew that I was I was welcome, but I knew that it was going to challenge me. I knew that it was going to cost me, and and I was like, I, I've got this history of how God has spoken. You know, those two stories that I I told earlier are just part of them. That meant that by this point, I'm going, yeah, I'm I'm on board with this. I don't know what this means yet, but I'm gonna I'm gonna take it on. But when you, when you come up against the pressure like, like I did, I mean, I, I, people were upset with me. <laughs> people were very upset with me. <laughs> they to put were, it lightly. I mean, to put it lightly, I mean, they were pissed. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, um, you, you know, and it's fascinating what people come at you with. You know, I, I had people come at me and go, oh, Tim's adopted Wiccan stuff. He's off. He's become a Wiccan. He's like, we knew it. We were waiting for this. We've been waiting to see that he's off the rails. You know, he's one of these wolves in sheep's clothing. You know, that kind of stuff. Like, 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 I mean, that was, that was, that was a big thing. I, I remember going for lunch with a friend of mine and then being, being so upset. They, they were so upset with me. They, they, they literally wanted me to stop. And I, I think that was one of the things that actually cost me my friendship with them. You know, and I was like, I, I, I won't stop. Like, I can't. God, God, she has asked me to do something, and and I'm 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 in it. I'm going to pursue this because because I know that that I've boxed God, <laughs> and she is more than God. That that my idea of God needs to bow to the reality of who she is, <laughs> and that interplay of the masculine and the feminine. It's it's it changed my view of men and women. And of parents and of children. 
I can't quite describe how with, without saying stuff that I, I, I don't know if I'm, I'm prepared to air. <laughs> but, but it was profound. It was profound in the sense of my going, I, I know that God has spoken to me. I can trust that she has spoken to me. And I can do this practice, and I'm prepared to do it no matter what the cost is. Because I know that the benefit's not just for me at the end of the day. You know, it, it, it was something of just going, I, I trust this voice. You know, I, I trust this voice. I'll, I'll, give, I'll give my life to this. <laughs> you know, um, not, not a problem. Like, this, this is what I'm about. You know, it was, it was a profound part of that journey for me. You know, um, and actually led, it led me to, to professionally walking away from everything for 10 years. You know, well, it led me to walking away permanently because I just, where, where, with the earlier stuff, I could see that there's, there's the potential to marry these two together. By that point in my life, years down the line, I was like, I just can't because the more I'm experiencing her break into my life and others, the more I'm seeing people be told that they're supposed to be become a part of this institution and they're, they're dying, <laughs> they're impoverished, they can't get more of this and they don't know how. And so the only way for them to deal with this is to push it away and unfold in that journey privately. And, and that's great that they do because they all walked away with that. But they, they couldn't marry it together and I couldn't either. And I was like, I don't know how to make this thing like the right space for this kind of mystical stuff. And this needs to be primary. Our primary thing needs to be the relational presence of God. And this institution is not about that. And I can't, I can't fight it to become that. I love the passion with which you speak about the relational presence, uh, that voice, because much of my experience, people speak of the passion, the commitment to God, and, and I'm discovering more and more of a time that sometimes they're speaking about their commitment to their own idea of God rather than the actual being. Um, and <clears throat> the argument that, the, that then is used against this idea of practicing the presence, rather uh, we're in favor of practicing the certainty you know, of our idea, of our construct, of our framework, etc. The, the critique is always, no, but you can't do that. It's unreliable. And eventually you'll stumble or fall and you'll realize that you know, if you stand for you stand for nothing, you fall for everything kind of argument is used. And yet people who I know who have genuinely experienced God, and I use no advisedly, but I know, there, there's, something, there's something immovable in those people that doesn't require the propping up of a tradition or you know, that sort of faith statement that goes with the institution. And so I just want to, reflecting that back, I love that, that sense of passion as you speak. You know, I can tell already, even though I don't know the details, that this is going to be costly. But I love her, and she loves me, and I'm willing to take that on. Um, and I just wanted to highlight that, because I think often one of those critiques are, no, that's, it's just not enough, it's not powerful enough, it's not trustworthy enough. It's not consistent enough. It's not, 
I think usually what it boils down to is it's not cookie cutter enough for us to package it in our little McDonald's carrier bags, unfortunately. Yeah, I'd make a one one size fits all. And, you know, if you come here on Sunday and you and you insert your five bucks, you can come away with it. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's, it's very hard to sell that. Uh, and, and it should be because it's, it's not saleable. Um, and it shouldn't be. Um, but that, that critique is, is it's just, not, it's just not valid, I don't think. Uh, and so I wanted to emphasize that, that that passion exists without it needing to be propped up by institution or text necessarily. And that's not to say that you know, those, those things don't play some role in some way, uh, even though we're deconstructing, et cetera, et cetera. But this primacy that you talk about in terms of the relation and that I feel also, and I was on a call with a, a friend of mine who's a minister in a traditional church environment. And she was also just trying to put into words, it was just this week and it's been so much on the forefront of my mind. On the one hand, describing just a, a lack of the presence of God in her ministry in some ways, in the church system, uh, in so many of the problems. And then on the other hand, describing her, her desperate need for connection with the relational presence of God and using language like, I almost can't breathe without it, or I don't know how to live without it. Um, and, and hearing that desperation almost from, from somebody feeling a bit locked inside of the system almost. Um, and also hearing that from other quarters and then just having it resonate within me and going, I know that feeling. You know, I'm, I currently experience that feeling of going, God, where is your voice? Without that sense of experience, without that sense of touch, whatever the language might be, I, I'm, you know, it, it reminds me of, is it Jeffrey Rush, I think, who plays Captain Barbosa in the, in the first Pirates of the Caribbean. And he's talking about what happens when they're cursed. And he says, you know, the apples just with the food turned to ash in our mouths. I love that line because that's the sense for me of losing that primacy of the relational presence of God and then having to rely and be propped up by, you know, just a text or just a tradition or just an institution. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll hit you with a movie cue as well. There's that one where, where, where Sci-Fi and the Matrix is talking to Mr. Smith that he's having the snake the steak and he goes i know that this is not real <laughs> but i want it and I, I feel like in many ways there's a you, you're on the line in the when you relate to god you, you can't you can't stay who you are you can't you can't hide there's a there's a deep intimacy to being known and healed and transformed and a lot of a lot of us and a lot of people want to not want to choose not that and they would like to choose the coziness of the institution because it's, I think it's easy to have those platitudes of faith, <laughs> right? Uh, compared to, to this whole thing of going, Oof, can, can I trust this voice that speaks to me? Oof, what, if it, what if it asks, what is it going to ask me? You know, and of course, I think there's a lot that we programmed with. You know, it's going to ask me to die to myself, to give up the things I love, to, to yeah, move to China. Move to China. Yeah. <laughs> Sacrifice my child at a bra on a mountain, you know. All of that kind of stuff, you know, it's it's there's <laughs> there's there's all these things 
that, but again, the idea of God can be the bridge or it can be the barrier. And, and the challenge is, how can it be the bridge for us to cross over? And, and once we've crossed over, can we let go of the bridge? You know, you know, like one of the, one of the things, like I've come across people who are deconstructing Christianity and, and, and religion, and they've latched onto the, to the, to the apophatic language, the, the negative language, the unknowing. And for them, the unknowing leads them to the unknowing what they don't know. <laughs> and they're, they're big on that. We can't know, we can't ever know. And they're big on the unknowing. And, and yet, when you deeply engage the mystics, the unknowing leads to the deeper knowing. And, and that comes through this, this relational encounter. You know, and I, I think it's I think it's absurd. Like I, I describes it in my in 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 a dissertation that I write that Christianity is this religion that's ostensibly knowing all about knowing God, and yet is cu- curiously and conspicuously known for God's absence. <laughs> you know, it's it's a faith where we where we go, we've got to believe in this God that you can't experience, <laughs> and if you have an experience of God, you can't trust it, and then don't look for it or pursue it. <laughs> you know, and and I think I think that. That what these kind of stories tell me is that, yeah, or should I say, these these kind of stories that we're sharing just remind me that's that's a load of bullshit. <laughs> it's a load of baloney. You know, we we should just we should just jettison that. You know, and and get back to things like like imagine let's let let's run a, a retreat not as a holiday spirituality, but as a getting away to to just go God come meet with us and let's see what happens. Let's take the trust for that kind of stuff. You know, um, I mean. As much as I'd love to facilitate retreats like that, um, I, I'm a big fan of people doing that within the context of their life, not retreating from it, but retreating into their life, you know, retreating into the depths of their relationships and go, God, meet me in this relationship, meet me in my work. <laughs> you know, and, there, and there again, you know, people get freaked out, you know, like, what if God's going to make me do something stupid, like sing like a chicken and fly like a duck you know whatever i mean and it's it's absurd but 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 i read this as a, a absurd reflex against god you know and, and I've, I've 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 experienced that and sometimes and at other points i've i've experienced this like ah this falling into the sense of relief at god becoming present you know um but i'm i'm, I'm happy to take both <laughs> um but you've got to start somewhere. You've got to start somewhere. And, and I think for a lot of people, the, the starting point is to go, to start with the, with the recognition that I have not experienced, but I want to. I will not settle for not experiencing you. So where are you? It reminds me of words. I had a, oh, just this incredibly wise old, I want to say mentor, but it's not deep enough. She was my spiritual director without ever sort of claiming that title in our relationship. Uh, it's just a phenomenal old, older lady, uh, Anglican priest, who was probably one of the least most Anglican-y priests I'd ever met. And I remember her saying one day during a service, she was preaching, and she said, you know, when I first met God, I told him, you tell me who you are. I don't, want to, I don't care what anybody else says. I don't care what a book says. You're going to tell me who you are. And I've never, I can tell you where I was sitting in that church. I could tell you what the lighting was like. I could probably even tell you what she was wearing. That moment of realization of, yes, that's my heart's cry as well. I just wasn't brave enough at that point to articulate it in that way. 
because she really was raising the middle finger in a way to the institution. But at the same time, there was a gentleness about it because she wasn't really. She was just stating something that was real and something that was true. Um, and I've never forgotten it, just that exact thing. I will not settle for secondhand experience for anything else, for other people's stories, whether it's written or spoken to me. You need to show up. And then she'd tell us stories about God speaking to her while she was vacuuming or driving. Well, which, which again is, is just all these, their experiences, their relational experiences, relational connection. I think I think that's probably a good place to call this in terms of of, of editing, and I, I you know this this has been wonderfully indulgent just to reflect uh, you know for me on on my own stories, but also to hear yours. I mean those are those are fantastic, and I I, I feel like I'm you know I, I'm looking forward to sitting down at many a fire with you with many a beer <laughs> and just hearing more of it, you know, because 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 it it it's it it's it's a benchmark to me. I go. If Steve, if you can hear like that <laughs> and take take risks like that, um, you know I can too, <laughs> I, and I want some, you know. So, so I, I I feel like it gives me a window on on what it's like to be a real person wrestling with God, drawing near to speak and act, and, and of living that out, and and of of giving me another window into into the insecurities because uh, our Religions are tremendously judgmental and legalistic always, and we're always judged for our imperfections. So that it becomes a screwed if you do and screwed if you don't scenario. You know, there's catch twenty two of of you can't trust your experiences, don't pursue experiences. If you dare you have them and you don't trust them, you somehow betrayed God. You know, and if you want them, you somehow betrayed your faith, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So so we never get out of this cycle. You know, and it's not easy to, but then also there's the, there's the unknown. I can read in a book or hear someone's stories that's neatly packaged from 300 years ago, right? <laughs> you had a lifetime to clean it up and then put forward their best story, right? <laughs> or someone else to put it forward. But, but in the first person present continuous, I don't have that luxury. I've got to work out, am I hearing right or am I going to get tremendously wrong? <laughs> you know, um, and there's that risk, there's that element of risk, you know, and it's, it's inspiring to hear a story of someone who's similarly journeyed, similarly been inspired by others, and at the same time, also alone in your journey, you know. And why is that? That's just crazy. I think that's, that's part of the institutional legacy. We should be sharing more of these stories together. Well, likewise, that's exactly what you're saying there resonates so much with me. And I would say for, for me, the greatest enjoyment out of this evening's conversation my takeaway is, is a reflection on the opposite risk as you describe it, so the risk to, to move forward into this, um, but also realizing in some ways that I've indulged the risk of the opposite, uh, which is to, um, I don't want to say become complacent, but to almost sink back into a lot of just the institutional hubris and the Without wanting to remove my agency, I want to describe it as in some way being sort of trapped. And so there are those different elements, and it's quite complex and textured. But just this encouragement, again, if I listen to your stories and go, that is actually, <clears throat> that's kind of the fire deep down in my belly, that experience, that chasing, that genuine, 
And I see it in contrast in some ways to going at the moment, sure, I, uh, I miss some of that fire. Uh, and so the reflection uh, is, a, is an encouragement as well on my side. So I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you. It was also, I like the word indulgent, but I've enjoyed it. <laughs> I, I, I must say, it, it's fortunate that I'm not facilitating one of my courses in this situation because I, I always said to people that were my, my co-facilitators that when you tell a story, it can't be older than six months. <laughs> and I've had some people really upset with me because because it's uh, you know there, there are these these landmark things you know it's, it's it's a lifetime journey so these things stay with you and in that sense they're always relevant. But but I found that. There's, there's not the culture to practice and pursue with generally. And so, so often people, often only the story, often the stories that people can tell are these ones that go back years like this. There's, there's no current ones. And, and to set that as a challenge, I mean, I, I remember having people upset with me and then within a very short space of time, there wasn't a single person that didn't have a story from the last six months and they were all better than mine. <laughs> And 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 I feel like like and that was great. Like like for me, it was it, it it was it was wonderful to experience that and go. I feel like God told me to lay that challenge to people that I was working with then, and I did. And again, they were pissed, but the payoff was just so good, you know. And I think that's the thing: the payoff to the relational presence of God is is actually just so good that as good capitalists, we should just capitalize on this anyway. Yeah, <laughs> but. But 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 as 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 human beings, um, the the need and the desire to be loved and nurtured and to love and nurture another is so profoundly a part of us, and to think that it's not just something that we get between us as friends or with our lovers or with our children, but we can have this with with God as well is just I I think it's it's wonderfully healing and transformative for people, you know, and that's that's a dimension we we haven't really got into even though. There's enough illusions to it, yeah. Great. Well, thanks, Tim. Uh, you used the word just now of this being a lovely, indulgent evening, and I feel very similar. It's wonderful and nostalgic in some ways to, to walk back over some of the memories uh, and to share them with each other and to think of some of the questions uh, that we've posed to each other and unpack a little further. So I've really enjoyed this, and it has both encouraged me uh, to look forward as much as it has given me a sense of affirmation of past experiences. So thank you.